Well, we just completed our renovations of the venue and the theater, and I can't wait for you to see them. They breathe new life into these next seasons of ministry, and it's such a big win for our church, for our students, and that happened because of your generosity, so thank you for that. Well, welcome to the Crossing. Glad that you are here today. Would you do me a favor and help me welcome our Southeast Campus, those who are watching online and our microsites, welcome. Glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, last week we started this brand new series called Unleashed, and we asked this question right here, which is why pray? If God already knows it all, then why pray? We just believe that when God's people begin to pray, God works, God changes hearts, God changes circumstances, and things begin to change because of the power of prayer that God uses through us. And we started as, as part of that 21 days of prayer. That we're taking 21 days of prayer to pray for our church, to pray for each other, to pray for our community, for our nation, and it's not too late for you to jump on board. Every morning at 8 a.m. on all of our social media pages, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we have a prayer emphasis for the day and a scripture of the day, and we want you to be a part of this because we want a church that's praying together and we begin to see just what God can do when his people come together to pray. Well, before we jump in, I want to tell you about something that is coming up. Darla and I are hosting a trip to Israel in November. We're going to leave the day after Thanksgiving. It's a 10-day trip. We'll be on the ground for eight days. And this is my third trip that I'm leading. And let me tell you why I keep going back and why I'm going to continue to go back until Jesus comes back. It's because I just love what happens for people when they go to Israel. The Bible comes alive for them. Many of you have been reading the Bible your entire life, but when you see it, when you touch it, when you smell it, it comes alive and you will never read the Bible the same again. And you will grow spiritually in a way that you won't grow any other way when you walk where Jesus walked. We're going to visit all of the significant sites of the Bible. That We're going to take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to spend time in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to visit Jerusalem, the Dead Sea. We'll go to the Upper Room. We will finish our trip at the Empty Tomb. And so we have great food and hotels. And the deadline to sign up is about a week away. And I have a few spots left while they're still open. And I would love for you to be a part of that. It's a life-changing trip. And I'll be out in the lobby afterwards to answer any questions if I can help you in that. Well, as we get started today, I want to start by asking one question. This question right here, who brought you to faith in Jesus? Who was it for you that helped start a relationship with Christ in your life? For me, it was my parents. I grew up in a Christian home. We grew up, we went to church, that, that Jesus was a part of our life, that my parents were followers of Jesus, and they were the real deal. They weren't perfect, but they showed me what it meant to make Jesus the priority in everything that we did. And it wasn't just them that had an impact on me. There was different people throughout my life who had significant impact because they invested in my life. You are here because of someone else. They intersected in your life, and at some point they told you about Jesus. Maybe it was your parents, or maybe it was a coach, or a friend at school, or a neighbor. 
Somewhere along the way, they influence you for Jesus, and you are here today because of them. Well, today we're continuing our series called Unleashed. Being unleashed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And today we're talking about unleashing the next generation. And for our purposes today, let me define this for you. This is who this is. It's anyone coming behind you. This is who we're talking about today. It's anyone coming behind you. I don't care whether you're 12 years old, 22 years old, 52 years old, that you have somebody who is coming behind you. This is what we're using as our definition today. So nobody gets a free pass. Nobody says, oh, well, today doesn't doesn't apply to me. This applies to every single one of us. Who is it that's coming behind you? What I want you to do is I want you to think of a name. I want you to have the name of that person in your life who's coming behind you. Who is that for you? That you don't have to be a parent. You don't have to have kids in your house for this to be relevant for you. Maybe it's somebody in the classroom where you teach. Or it's the people in your neighborhood. Or it's those in the church. What is the name of that person in your life who's coming behind you? See, this applies to every one of us today. I want you to have them in mind as we talk today. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, we're going to talk about this whole idea of the impact that we can have in those who are coming behind us. And so let me give you a little bit of background of what happens right here. For centuries, the, the children of Israel dreamed of being a free people. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years until God calls Moses to lead them out of slavery. And they get to the edge of the promised land and Moses sends out some spies But the people were too scared to go into the land. Even though the spies came back, they they were all scared. And so they wandered in the desert for a total of 40 years until this entire generation is gone and God had raised up a new generation. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. And they conquer the land one city at a time. And we're going to start here in Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says this. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all of the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. That the children of Israel... They come across into the promised land and they begin to settle down. They begin to to start homes and families. For the first time, they were no longer slaves. They were not nomads. And so they started families. They begin to build their homes. They begin to, to settle into the land. And because this generation saw all that God had done, they served the Lord and they remained faithful in this generation. It goes on and it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaiash. That... Joshua had this amazing life. Joshua is actually one of the 12 spies that spied on the land of Canaan. If you grew up in church, you sang a song, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. Well, Joshua was one of the good ones. He and Caleb were one of the good ones, and they come back and they said, we need to take this land. God's with us. We can do it. 
But the other 10 spies said, no, no, they're giants in the land and we feel like grasshoppers. We can't do it. They were scared and they began to spread fear in all the children of Israel. And the children of Israel would not go over to the other side. And so they wandered in the desert for another 38 years until that generation was gone. And then they finally get to the promised land. And Joshua is the one who leads them into the promised land. The only two people who left Egypt who were allowed to go into the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. And now Joshua is gone. It says, after that, this whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they had forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtoreths. See, this right here, I don't know whether you caught this. This is an amazing story. I don't know whether you caught this. In one generation, the people go from serving the Lord to forsaking the Lord and serving other gods. This didn't happen over several hundred years. This didn't happen over multiple generations. This wasn't a gradual pulling away from God. It happens in one generation. This new generation grew up that didn't know the Lord or what the Lord had done for Israel. One generation. That is shocking to me. And while it's easy to point our finger at those who who didn't know God and didn't know what God had done for Israel, you know who I think is to blame here? It's the parents. It's the grandparents. It's the mentors. It is the leaders of Israel. It's the leaders of this generation. It's the ones who had marched around Jericho and see the walls come down. It's the ones who had crossed the Jordan River who didn't tell the story. It's the ones who saw the sun stand still and didn't tell the story. It's the people who had experienced God, who had seen God's hand at work and didn't pass that faith on to the next generation. I shared these statistics a couple years ago that I think will be so helpful for us right now, that we are in the first time where there are five generations that are living. There's five generations. Let me tell you about these generations. Number one, we have the builder generation. These are those who were born between 1927 and 1945. This is the generation of my parents. This is when my parents were born. Now look at this. It says that 65% are Bible-driven Jesus followers. That means that they base their life on the Bible. They base their decisions on the Bible. The Bible is what guides them and directs them. 65% of this generation. Well, the next generation is the boomer generation. This is those who were born between 1946 and 1964. This is the people who lead our country. Many of you right now, you were born in this generation right here. Look at this. 35% of the boomer generation are Bible-driven Jesus followers. The next generation is the Gen X generation, born between 1965 and 1983. This is my generation. I barely made it in, but I'm still in this generation right here. I'm Gen X. And of my generation, 16% are Bible-driven Jesus followers. 
Do you see a pattern going on here? Do you see something that is beginning to happen? Well, this next generation is our millennial generation. Born 1984 to 2004, and of the millennial generation, their claim is that 4% are Bible-driven Jesus followers. We have a problem. And you want to know whose fault I think it is? It's our fault. We bear the responsibility for this. We can't push this off and blame someone else. It's our fault. Here's this big idea of today. It's this, when the story does not get told, faith is eventually lost. When the story does not get told, see the Israelites, they had this story of how God had brought them into the promised land of all that God had done for them and they stopped telling the story and in one generation, faith gets lost. We have a story of how we came to faith. Some of you are like me. And you came to faith very early in your life. And there's never been a time in your life where you didn't know about Jesus, where you didn't know about what God had done for you. But many of you have a much different story than that. Many of you didn't grow up in a Christian home. That your story is, is so much different. But you had some point in your life where you intersected with Jesus because somebody invited you to church or somebody told you about their faith. And it changed your life. That for the first time when you became a follower of Jesus, that you were freed from addictions. That God began to put relationships back together. Begin to give you a purpose. Maybe you were at the edge of saying, I don't even know why I want to live. And God breathed life into you. You need to tell that story of what God has done for you. Here's the reason why most of us don't share our faith. It's out of fear. We're just afraid. What if they ask me some question I can't answer? Because all of us wonder, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know how to answer that, you think. And so I don't know what to say. Or you think, what if they ask me some Bible question and I don't know the answer? And so it's out of fear that we don't say anything. Listen, you don't have to have all the answers. And you don't have to know all the Bible verses. Just tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Tell the story. And it's okay to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. We can find that out. But let me tell you how God has changed my life. Let me tell you what he has done for me. See, when the story does not get told, faith is eventually lost. And the church plays a role in this as well. Because every week, every weekend, and every Wednesday night, our campus is overrun with the next generation. When I was a kid, older people would say to me, they say, now don't run in church. Don't run in church. And how I heard that as a kid is don't have fun in church. You know, we don't have fun here. You stop having fun. Take that smile off of your face. Stop running. We don't do that here. I'll tell you what I love is I love going out to the courtyard and just seeing hundreds of kids running around. I love that. That's why we built this place. I love on Wednesday night, we have hundreds of teenagers who overtake our campus. Hundreds of teenagers. And if you came on a Wednesday night, for some of you, for some of you, you would be completely intimidated. You wouldn't know what to do with them, and the music would be too loud, and sometimes things get broken on our campus, and that just happens. And we could have the tendency to say, oh, we, we don't want them to be here. We don't want them to touch anything. No, that's the reason we're here. That's why we exist. We are committed to reaching the next generation for Christ. We're committed to this. So how do we do this? 
How do we pass on the faith to those who are coming behind us? How do, we, how do we invest in those who are coming behind us? Whoever that is for you, what do we do? I have three practical steps, and this actually came from a young lady who's a millennial. I heard her talk about this. She said, this is what we need. I, I'm going to share this with our church. Here's the first one. It's encouragement. It's encouragement. Now, this is more than just a pat on their back. This is more than saying, they look nice today. I like your pink hair. You know, those are nice compliments, but encouragement, it goes deeper than that. Encouragement is speaking into that person who comes behind you and you speak life into them. You speak vision into their life. You say, I see a calling on your life. God has given you some gifts. I remember years ago when I taught at church, I was either in high school or college, and somebody came up to me, and they go, someday you're going to be really good. (laughs) I know they meant that as a compliment, but the way that I heard that is, you're not very good right now. (laughs) Someday you might be good. When we started the crossing, we had this vision of reaching people that no one else was reaching. And so we started a different kind of church. There were not a lot of churches that were doing church the way that we were doing it. Well, that's not the case anymore. There's a lot of churches who are doing church the way we're doing it. There's a lot of churches trying to reach this generation and the next generation for Christ. But I know whoever is going to reach future generations, the future generations coming after us, it's probably those ideas are probably not going to come from us. They're going to come from the future generations. And we need to allow them to rise up to encourage them. Al Reese in his book Focus writes, the next generation idea almost never comes from the previous generation. One of the things that I think of is is these these four letters, I-C-N-U. It's looking at people and suddenly, let me tell you what I see in you. Here's how I see the giftedness of what God is doing in you. Give value to what they say. Tell them you're praying for them and actually pray for them. It's encouragement. Here's the second thing. It's to provide opportunities. It's to provide opportunities for those who are coming alongside us, behind us. Because if we don't give the opportunities for them to lead, then they're just going to sit around and watch. And eventually they're going to move on to somewhere else where they can lead. We need to give them opportunities to use their gifts for Jesus. I would not be here today if it weren't for the opportunities that people gave me in my life. The first time that I ever preached in church was when I was 15 years old. It was a Sunday night service, our student ministry. We took over the service, and I got to do the message that night. It was the very first time that I spoke in church. And I spoke out of a passage in Romans chapter 8, and it talks about that we are heirs of Christ, that We have this inheritance that comes through Jesus, except I didn't say that we are heirs of Christ. I said that we are heirs of Christ. (laughs) Darla actually listened to me practice the message, and in her mind, she's like, I need to tell him it's not heirs, it's heirs, but she forgot to tell me. So I get up in front of hundreds of people, and I said, every one of us, we are heirs of Christ. (laughs) We need to give opportunities for people to make mistakes, to be able to begin to grow up. I graduated from high school early. And then I went on to college early, and there was a small church near the college that I went to that was looking for a youth pastor, and a mentor of mine gave them my name. And so I became a youth pastor for the first time when I was 18 years old. I should have still been in high school. I had kids in my student ministry who were older than me. 
in my high school. And because of that, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to say how old I was. I didn't want anybody to know because I thought, you know, they wouldn't want me to be around their kids or they wouldn't want me to lead at the church. And so whenever somebody asked me my age, because I looked 12, you know, the kids in the youth group, they would go, so how old are you? So I had this thing down. I would just say, well, how old do you think I am? And they would guess, and then I would change the subject. Well, I had done this for several months very successfully, and then some kids corner me, and they go, how old are you? And I said, well, how old do you think I am? And they go, no, no, we're not falling for that again. We want to know how old you are. And at that point, I had to choose, am I going to lie to them or am I going to tell them the truth? Now, I'm not above lying, but I decided, okay, I need to tell them the truth. And I said, I'm 18 years old. And they go, would you tell us how old you are? I go, I'm 18. They go, you are not 18. I'm 18. How old are you? And I said, I'm 21. They go, thank you. But I was 18. Darla and I moved to Las Vegas in 1994. We came here to be the, the first student ministry pastor of a brand new church called Canyon Ridge Christian Church. Canyon Ridge was the church that started the crossing. And I was the first student ministry pastor at this church. And when our founding senior pastor left, his name was Mike Bro. Mike speaks here at the crossing. He'll be here in a couple weeks. When he left, because God had called him someplace else, I got the opportunity to start speaking once a month at the weekend services. And I was 29 years old speaking at one of the largest churches in America. And my job has, my life has been shaped by the opportunities that have been given to me. We have to provide opportunities for people who are coming behind us. And no, they may not always get it perfect, but we've got to provide those opportunities for them to grow up, for God to do his work in them. And then here's this third thing right here. It's development. This right here, it's a commitment. And this doesn't happen in a day. We don't develop them in a day or a week. This takes time. This takes time for us to come alongside them and to begin to develop them, to say, I see something in you, to begin to mentor them, begin to raise them up, that I see that God has something for you. You have some gifts, and I want to help you use those gifts. Let me speak to those of you who are 50 years old and over. Let me tell you what begins to happen, because when you are younger, when, when we're younger, we're the warrior. We're trying to take on the world. We're trying to conquer the world. What begins to happen at about 50 years old is you go into this phase where actually there's an author who writes about this, where you become the sage. You become the one who can dispense wisdom and experience. You may not have the warrior mentality anymore in you to take the hill, but that doesn't mean that you're done. Now your job is for you to be the, the mentor for you to share your wisdom and experience with those who are coming behind you. That you have a role no matter who you are in this room, you have a role. I love Marv and Margie Casterline. They are in their 70s and they have taught in our children's ministry every Sunday for years. Marv helps lead a small group of grade school kids. Well, that may not be your calling, but you have a calling. You have somewhere that you're supposed to be. Identify. Who is coming behind you? Encourage them. Give them practical opportunities and commit to develop them. When you came in, you were given a Lego. I want you to get that out. This one's probably a little bit bigger than yours that you have. I want you to get your Lego out. Because here's what Legos are. Legos are building blocks. 
And they come in different shapes and sizes and colors. But what they represent for us, it's building on those who are coming behind you. It's not, let that, it's not letting that foundation end. It's building on those who are coming behind you. And I want your Lego to be a reminder for you to pray this week. There are 21 days of prayer. It changes courses this week, and we're going to start praying for the next generation. We're going to start praying how God is going to use us, and I want that to be a reminder for you. That we're going to come in here on Wednesday night for our night of worship. That we're going to come in here and worship God, and we're going to pray together and just begin to to empower ourselves about what God could do through us. And today, we want some families to say yes. First, to say yes to getting your kids re-engaged. That we're starting the the beginning of a new ministry season. And for them to be re-engaged in what is going on here, for God to work in their life. We have something for everybody 18 years old and under, high school and under. We have something for every single age group at our church. It's to say yes to get them re-engaged. But second thing is this, is we need some of you to say yes to engaging the next generation. That we have a place for you to serve. For some of you, you love babies and you love the little ones. We have early childhood that we need you. We have our kids crossing, our elementary kids that need mentors, that need small group leaders. We have our student ministry here. We want you to be involved. Now listen, if you don't like kids, please don't volunteer. We don't want you in those environments. We have someplace else for you. But if you've always thought, I've always wanted to get involved, I've always wanted to do something, today is your day. Today is the day that you can do that. The story that I shared in Judges, the story I shared in Judges where we learn this whole principle that when the story is not told, faith is eventually lost. Fast forward from there about 400 years and David is the king of Israel. King David is the king. And there's a man that is in his court that writes a psalm. It's Psalm 78. And here's what he writes. Asaph is his name. He says, my people, listen to the words of my mouth. Things our ancestors have told us because they know the story before where the faith was lost, that they fumbled the ball and they didn't pass it on. He goes on and he says, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. This is a commitment for us. It's a commitment for us to tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of God. For us to tell those who are coming behind us of God's power, of God's wonders, of what God has done in us. Then Asaph goes on and it says, He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. They would... um, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. See, this is our charge. This is what God has called you and me to do. This is what we get to do is we get to tell the next generation. We get to tell those who are coming behind us. And this is every person in here. This is your job. Here's how I want to close today. I want to do something different because there's a couple groups of people that I want to pray over today. So here's what I want to ask, is that if you are a parent who has a child 18 years old or under, if 
you're a parent with a child 18 years old or under, I would like to ask you to stand right now. I'm going to pray over you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Look at this. Look at this. This is amazing. Here's what I want to say to you parents. God has uniquely placed you in the lives of your kids. God has called you for this task. That you are here, you're doing what you're doing because God has a calling on you. And you don't have to be a perfect parent to point your kids to faith. You don't have to be a perfect parent to show what it looks like in your house to trust Jesus with your life. You don't have to do all the right things to say in our house we serve the Lord, that Jesus is a priority for us. Listen, the greatest achievement in your life may not be something that you do, but someone you raise. I want you to stand, keep standing here, and I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Now I'd like to ask everybody here who is 18 years old and under, all of our students, all of our kids, for you to stand. Would you stand where you are? I love that you're at this church. I love that you are here investing your life in what God has for you. And let me just lead leave you with this word. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but you set an example in your speech, the way you talk, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. You be the example And I believe that some of the greatest innovations to to take Jesus to the next generation is going to come out of your generation. It won't come out of mine. So what we're going to do is we're just going to close. I'm going to pray for these two groups who are standing here. So I'm just going to ask that you just bow your heads with me and let's pray together. God, thank you for every parent who is standing. God, there has never been a harder time to be a parent than now. God, what they face And what they're up against is so difficult. And so, God, we're just asking you to come alongside them. God, as they're putting Jesus number one in their life and they're putting faith as a priority in their home, God, I pray that you would just help them, guide them. God, for the regrets that they have, God, I pray that you would begin to wash those away. God, for every student and kid who is in here who's standing, God, I pray that you would empower them. You would help them to be the example. God, help us as a church to never look down on them because they're young. God, but you would give them courage and strength to live for Jesus every day. So God, we pray a blessing on our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.